My Wax Museum is a proud member of the Create Vine. Hey guys, I am super, super excited to get back to the show in this new year with Nathaniel. But before we get on to the episode, I just want to mention Mecco Radio has a new show. It's called Broken Bulbs. It's a show for entrepreneurs, creators, and builders who need to keep it real. And of course, it is hosted by yours truly. We talk to successful people in a ton of different fields, not about their successes, but of course, about their broken bulbs, the things that didn't quite work out. So we have a few laughs along the way as we tell these interesting and engaging stories about what went wrong. They're short, they're 10 to 12 minute episodes, and the first couple are out now. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts or go to mechoradio.com and get to Broken Bulbs through there. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by my friend and fellow podcaster, Nathaniel Fedelvaro. Nathaniel's an awesome guy. We're around the same age, and it's cool to see what he's doing on the other side of the planet. Yeah, he's in Singapore, which I think is super, super cool. We talk about that as well as his experience in journalism and broadcasting. So stay tuned for that. And please remember, after today's show, to make five minutes, just five minutes, to listen intently to the people around you. Nathaniel Fedelvaro, welcome to My Wax Museum. Hey, how's it going? Great to be here. It's it's going well. I'm excited to have you here. I I always love when I get to have um, international guests on and kind of you know learn a little bit more about their side of the world and and where they come from. Um, seeing as obviously most of the people that I host on this podcast tend to grow up in the same area as me, know the same things as me. So it's always interesting to get some fresh perspectives in here. Well, I hope I'm a good representation of this side of the world. I, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, I, I really hope so. But we're going we're gonna to pretend that you are either way. Yeah. Um, so why don't you fill us in where exactly you're from? Yeah, well, I'm from Singapore, the sunny city of Singapore. Uh, right now, I guess it's about 6.20 something where you're at, uh, 6.20 something p.m., right about the end of a Sunday. Whereas here, I just started the work week. It's Monday, 8.23 a.m., and I pretty much just woke up about an hour ago. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And I'm going to bed in an hour, so... Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so, I... I'm I'm curious like were you were you born and raised in Singapore? Yes, so actually I was born in Singapore. I was born in Singapore April 1994. Uh but uh culturally or I guess uh uh well where I'm actually quote unquote from is from the Philippines. So my parents were Filipino. My parents are Filipino. Uh they left the Philippines when they were about 25, 26, 27. And they came to Singapore uh, to work for a bank. They were in the IT industry. And uh, they met on the job here. And they decided to settle down here and have me. That's sweet. Yeah, that is super cool. Um, and so do you, f- do you feel uh, still a connection to that, uh, that Filipino culture um, despite growing up in Singapore? 
Yeah, I do. Um, when I was young, we would go back pretty often. Um, when I was a toddler, we would go back for a long, long periods of time, right? For like months on end. So I was very, I was connected with the Philippine side of my, of, of my culture, I guess. And then when, when I grew up, you know, when I started going to school, we would go back every year or so with um, my cousins from my mom's side uh, coming over here on, well, on on the years that we couldn't afford to go there. Um, so, yeah, I do have that connection to my Philippine culture. However, I, I, I am very un-Filipino, which a lot of my friends have said. A lot of my friends in Singapore are Filipino, actually. There's a whole Filipino community here. Um, and I'm not the typical Pinoy. <laughs> I'm more Singaporean than um, most people would be. Um, and a few of my friends feel the same way. Um, there are a few of us that are very Filipino, but there's that small group of us that's more Singaporean than Filipino. Just because, well, uh, unlike most of our more Filipino friends, my parents, for example, brought us up speaking English. Um, which a few years later, they regretted because we me and my brothers could barely speak Tagalog or Filipino. Uh, but it ended up with the consequence that uh, we connected a lot more to our Singaporean friends um, and lost that sort of Philippine feel to us. <laughs> so, I, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a consequence of being a third culture kid, you know, not really Singaporean, not really Filipino. Um, but now I am actually a citizen of Singapore. So, Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so I, I I have a friend who's kind of in that same boat. He grew up really just speaking English, despite uh, being um, Filipino, um, ethnically at least, um, and his parents being from the Philippines, and and he kind of has that same that same thing where he doesn't really speak Tagalog at all, and and so he kind of. Um, he he can sometimes have a different or difficult experience trying to connect with that Filipino culture. So maybe fill me in though um, on the differences between uh, the Philippine culture and the Singaporean culture. How are they different? Well, I guess it's not super different. There are similarities. So I mean, you know, within Asia, you know, there's a very Asian culture. Um, I guess, to the perspective of uh, someone in the West, which is a lot more, um, well, the stereotype goes that it's a lot more uh, polite here. Uh, There's a lot more like, uh, it's not like polite as in like Western people are rude or anything, but it's more of that uh, service sector polite, you know, um, where like you go to Thailand, land of smiles, like that stereotype kind of holds fairly true for the whole Asian region. Um, but between Singapore and Philippines, I guess one of the more, um, one of the stark differences, I guess, would be the, uh, the, the way that people are in public. So the Philippines being a place that's not entirely hundred percent safe, you know, uh, well, it's, people are a lot more reserved, you know, like you don't get people who like you kind of have conversations with strangers. Um, in Singapore, it's it's a different reason why you don't have conversations with strangers, I feel. 
or at least this is the the perspective of a third culture kid. Uh, where in Philippines you don't talk to strangers because you're afraid to get pickpocketed or robbed. Uh, in Singapore you don't have conversations with strangers just purely because everyone is in such a rush to get to wherever they are that they don't consider where they already are. Uh, so you'd be on the train, and Singapore is like a safe place. You know, it's it's it it has a pretty low crime rate. It uh it's a clean city so it, it has a very different vibe when you don't talk to people here as opposed to when you don't talk to people in the philippines does that make sense you know like where it's it's like people just feel like they're always on the way to a, a meeting that they're already late for in singapore that's interesting yeah i've i've always been fascinated by singapore because it is it's basically just a city state right like um Pretty much, yeah. Which is which is incredibly fascinating. How many people live there? Do you know? Just about five million, I think. We're hitting about six million. Yeah, five to six million people. Um, yeah, and and I think there was a survey a while back. I don't know how a while back this was, but like Singapore is where like it's it's one of the fastest walking countries. So <laughs> people walk at a speed like way faster in singapore as opposed to like the rest of the world really um and i guess that kind of yeah it it, it didn't surprise me when i read it that's how like true it holds uh that you know people just always feel like they're in a rush or people are always in a rush like they don't just feel like they're in a rush they actually are um so yeah that's 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 one stark cultural difference i would say between the singapore and philippines philippines is a lot more laid back in that sense Interesting. Yeah. And so I, I'm curious then, um, with you having uh, parents from the Philippines and you identifying more with the Singaporean culture and being Singaporean yourself, um, do you I, do you feel like as you were growing up, you felt like you also had to be rushing or were your parents kind of a little bit more laid back and that kind of balanced you out? That's an interesting question. Um, I do feel like I'm a little bit more laid back in general. Uh, there was this joke that my friends in secondary school or uh, high school uh, used to say, which is like, uh, Nat is such a slow walker. <laughs> we would go out, we'd be going to like the movies, you know, it's not like we're going to school or anything. And they would be walking so fast and I'd always be trailing behind. Or I, my average speed would pull down the group's average speed of walking. Um, so in a sense, I guess I'm a little bit more on the laid back side of things. But I don't think that's so much because of my parents. I think that's more or less just I am. Uh, my parents are actually, like, they're both scholars. You know, like when they went to university, I think my mom had like a full free ride. Um, and that's just not who I was. And she was very confused by that when I was in school. Uh, and, and my dad as well. And both of them had this kind of like uh, hustle culture when they were growing up. Uh, like my dad, when he was in university, already had to be supporting his sisters and his mom. Uh, because his dad, uh, my grandfather, passed away when he was in university. So uh, having to study uh, he was studying engineering at the time because he wanted to be an astronaut uh, while also supporting uh, his family by working and then after that 
attending summer school to learn computer engineering, uh, all of that juggling uh, in in one person's life. Um, like it, it was a very hectic uh, life, I guess. So I, I think my parents are just not very typical in that sense. Um, yeah, so I, I guess my laid backness is not attributed to my parents, but it is just something that's that that's that's there about me. I guess one thing that like I diverge a little bit from where my parents stand is that I'm a little less conservative because uh, my family's Catholic, um, and I'm 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 Catholic. I believe in uh, Catholicism, uh, but my parents are a lot more conservative, whereas I'm more connected to the secular world. Uh, so like my, like my house, you'd never see <clears throat> like, like my house growing up, you'd never see, uh, alcohol at home at all. Um, like that, that just wasn't like how my parents were brought up. So when me and my brothers, uh, reached legal age and we started going out at night and coming home, smelling like alcohol, that was something that, uh, my parents were really confused by. Like, where did you learn that? We didn't teach you that. Um, and just that the way that we carry ourselves is a lot less conservative than how my parents tend to uh, be. So it does, you know, stir up interesting conversations with friends in that uh, religious community because we're a lot more liberal. Um, and I think our generation of people is a lot more liberal as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, and I think, you know, we go through these generational cycles where everybody has something that, um, that they are more liberal about. I, I mean, I imagine when you go back and see your parents in their 20s, they probably look kind of liberal compared to their parents, right? Um, yeah. You know, or at least, you know, more progressive in one way or another. I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of curious, going back a little bit, um, when, when you reached legal age and, and you went out drinking and, and, um, and you, you know, kind of started to choose how you wanted to form your life um how did you balance that um that religion the catholicism with you know your own uh premise of of how you wanted to conduct um your affairs well i say that at the time when i was going out drinking and started smoking doing drugs you know that kind of teenage rebellion wasn't the most caught up with like uh the religious side of things um yeah that wasn't like it wasn't like in the back of my mind i was like yeah jesus would have been cool with that it was more that you know i i kind of didn't care uh there was this more rebellious side to me because that was when i was also exploring whether like i want to subscribe to catholicism why are things a certain way why can we not do this why can we not do that um, and I sort of pushed the boundaries of what we could and couldn't do uh, with me and my brothers, I guess. So, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was purely an act of rebellion as opposed to something that I consciously decided. It's influenced more by the people that I was with at school. I was in, uh, I, that was when I got into Polytechnic, which is uh, right up. Um, that's where I studied mass communication where I got my diploma and that's where I got exposed to a whole different type of people 
uh, people from all different walks of life. As opposed to, you know, when, when you go to high school, when you go to secondary school, like you kind of meet people within your same neighborhood, within your same bracket of, you know, the type of people that, that you are. And in polytechnic, because I think there's like five polytechnics in Singapore, uh, that just means that the people that you meet are from all over the country, from all different cultures, walks of life, with all different ranges of perspectives. So to be exposed to that many ways of thinking, whether they were right or wrong, uh, that just exposed me to way of thinking about the way that I live my life. Yeah, it, it is interesting when when you come in contact with all these different ideas and and you bring them in to to yourself and either adopt them or reject them or try them and decide no that's not for me. So, I'm curious where you're at uh where you're at now with with who you feel you are as an individual then with with religion and uh secularism and uh, all of all of that stuff kind of combined, where would you put yourself? Yeah. So I guess I subscribe to religion. I subscribe to my religion, uh, not just because I think it's practical in the sense that, you know, this is the way the world works, but because I actually believe in the whole Bible story, I guess. Um, so I do believe in that whole thing that whole uh, uh like basically what the bible says but i don't i've come to question as opposed to like just pure not believing but i've come to start questioning whether the rules that the bible states are actually something to hold by now right because as much as we can say that god uh god guided the people who wrote the bible you know um the people who wrote the Bible were still men. They were human. Um, and they could have interpreted that message that they were given in any given way. Right. So I think taking, taking what I'm taught or taking what's told to me with a pinch of salt and treating it the same way that you would treat news articles these days, because, you know, you don't want to subscribe to fake news or you don't want to, you don't want to believe something just because, someone says it's true. Uh, that's how I balance uh, the values that I hold to these days, I guess. Um, because there are stuff that is outdated, right? For example, somewhere in the Old Testament, like it tells you you can't like shave or you can't like cut your hair. That's something that we immediately just threw out the window uh, when the world started wearing their hair a lot shorter. Or... Uh, so why then is having a tattoo still kind of taboo or why is doing other certain things still taboo? So I think that that's something that uh, I deal with on a daily basis. So kind of deciding, deciding where I stand on topics as the topics come to me, as opposed to just deciding on the side that my religion sides with. I think that, is a really interesting way um, to look at things is, is to consider, you know, where we are culturally as, as a world, where we are religiously as well. And to, for you to kind of 
question things and piece things together and, and kind of come to your own conclusions. I think that's really smart. And, and I think that's really responsible of you to, to do that. Hey guys, future Alex here, just checking in, making sure you're enjoying the show. And also here to mention that we do have an Instagram page. If you go to instagram.com slash mywaxmuseum, you can hear awesome content like this. What's an opinion you have that might surprise people or be otherwise unpopular? So if I would say it's an, uh, like, if I were to pinpoint an unpopular opinion, it would be the fact that you have to stay at a job uh, for stability. You have to stay at a job long-term. I think it's something that a lot of people, particularly in Asia, still grapple with, even though it's the whole jumping from job to job. Um, the so-called millennial culture thing of jumping job to job is, is kind of taking off in the Western world. So in Asia, it's a lot more traditional, even for some younger people. Um, but I think that you can't really get tied on a job that you don't like. Uh, you can't really get tied on a job where you don't see yourself going anywhere. So while I don't fully endorse the jumping of job to job for uh, no particular reason, I feel like there are reasons to jump out job to job these days just purely because of the wealth of choices that you have now. Before each interview, I ask guests 15 questions just like that one to find out some interesting and maybe different things that I wouldn't find out during the normal interview. So if you want to hear that bonus content, you can go to instagram.com slash mywaxmuseum. Our Instagram is mywaxmuseum. I mean, can it get any easier? Now, back to the show. Obviously, obviously you're a smart guy. Oh. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You mentioned going to Polytechnic. So um, what did you what did you study at school? Well, okay, so the education system in Singapore needs a bit of explanation before we get into that. Yes, please, yeah. We start from, well, so gr the grade school equivalent is primary school. Uh, that's about six years from age 7 to 12. Is that right? 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yep, so it's six years from 7 to 12. Uh, from 13 to 16 at secondary school, which is the high school equivalent. But after that, you get your O-level certificate, which is based on Cambridge, uh, the GCSE O-levels. Um, so with an O-level certificate, you can't really go into work uh, like how I assume in the Western side of the world, you know, you can get a high school diploma and then you can kind of get into work already, right? So after high school or secondary school here, you choose to either go to um, <clears throat> to junior college to get your A-levels, uh, which is also uh, by Cambridge, uh, the GCSE A-levels, or you can go to Polytechnic for your diploma. So an A-level certificate takes two years to attain, but after that, you're still like kind of in limbo because you need to get your degree before you go into the working world. Whereas if you take a diploma, that is something that employers would kind of take as uh, paper that you can use on your resume. Uh, so, yeah, I was, as opposed to what you said, not very academically smart. Uh, smart. <laughs> so I decided to go to Polytechnic uh, just because I didn't think I would thrive in a junior college environment where it was more academic focused as opposed to practical application focused. So I took up mass communication. 
Um, I was very enraptured by journalism, very enraptured by marketing and broadcast and all of these concepts. So uh, that was what I studied in my three years in Polytechnique. That is super cool. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Polytechnic colleges because they give you so many practical skills and, and things that you can do. Um, so out of journalism and broadcasting and, and just that communication in general, what were some of the biggest takeaways for you? What do you think were the most important and or coolest things that you learned? This is something that um, I guess this would also be like an answer to the unpopular opinion question that you asked earlier. But uh, mass communication is just a bunch of things that you can learn on the fly. Um, and, and there are several parts of it that, of course, are specialized and you do have to learn at school. But where the, the, the path that I took into journalism, it's something that you can learn on the job. Um, you know, you report about something, just write about the interesting facts that you know. But I think where I actually learned that, as opposed to like in my lecture hall, in uh, my tutorial classrooms, was when I took a two-month internship during my holidays in my second year to work at the local tabloid, uh, the new paper. So I was an intern at the new paper for about, yeah, so, so about two months. We were immediately just thrown into the deep end of the job, told to uh, chase stories. And one of the stories that I did that I remember very clearly was when uh, we got a tip on the hotline about a building nearby catching up in flames. And I went down there. There was a hawker center or like a food court of sorts where uh, one whole portion of it was just like blackened. It was burned. And by the time the media got there, because I wasn't the only one, there were several like other papers there, other blogs and uh, TV crews and radio crews. Um, the fire situation had been contained. So for a lot of them, it was a no news day. You know, it was a no news trip because they got there, the fire was done, there were no photos to be had. There's no story to write. It's just a place burnt up, place uh, place burnt up, fire contained, everything well. So that's like the story that they ran. Uh, whereas I took the time to walk around. I saw this guy just sitting there. Uh, he was like close to tears. He was just looking at this portion of the hawker center, the food court that was absolutely blackened by the fire. I spoke to him. Uh, I was like, hey, man, like, what's up? Uh, and he was the stall owner of that stall that got burnt down. He had just set up, like, the week or the month before that. He bought, like, a ton of meat, I think $6,000 worth of meat. And all of that went up in smoke. So I wrote a story about him, you know, about how he felt, about his whole, like, just... His, his bad luck of having bought all of that meat because I think that's uh, I think what he explains that that's an unusual amount of meat to buy you don't really buy that much and you know uh, keep it there uh, but he was trying to cut on costs uh, went for a bulk purchase and at just just the bad luck that uh, the whole place caught fire so I remember the headlines being 6,000 worth of meat goes up in smoke uh, and having my story republished by a lot of other media. That was a good feeling. And that was when I realized that uh, journalism is a lot more than like what they tell you in, in the classroom, you know, like 
telling a story or like how to write because a lot of our a lot of our modules at uh, a lot of our lessons at the time were like about how you write and how you tell that story but they don't tell you how you chase that story that's something that you really learn on the job uh, that's something that you really only learn when you're put in the shoes of a reporter when you're in that situation where do you look who do you speak to what do you think um, what leads do you chase do you decide there is no lead or do you uh, make the smallest lead a story that you can tell. I love that. Um, and I think it's really cool that you stuck around and, and found that story. Um, it, you know, it, it shows a, a keen eye. And, um, and I, I'm sure that man appreciated that he got to share his story with somebody that day because, you know, obviously a hard day. Yeah, and it's cathartic, right? Because when you get to share your story like that, get your story out and you get someone to sympathize with you uh it's a good feeling yeah yeah totally is um and so kind of leading into the last five minutes of the interview here i always like to ask about the future about people's plans for the future do you have any any ideas for things you'd like to accomplish things you'd like to to do or see as you as you move forward into this world yeah well to give some context uh, I'll speed through the next, uh, what was it, like five years after I broke that story uh, with the Hawker Center. So that was kind of what captured me. And, and like, because that internship was kind of uh, just, it, was, it wasn't so important to me. Uh, my friend actually applied for an internship there and she was like, hey, why not like you apply with me? And I was like, yeah, all right. So I actually messaged them on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, I, I dropped the, the new paper message on Facebook saying, hey, you guys got a slot <laughs> or what up? And they actually got back to me. I didn't expect them to get back at all. Uh, and that was how I actually got stuck in a two-month internship because I'd, I'd said that I would join, so I, I joined. Uh, but having that experience of like breaking a story that other news publications with professional journalists <laughs> would pick up uh, got me hooked with... Uh, got me hooked on the feeling of getting a scoop. And from then, it was always my goal to be a fledged journalist, right? So uh, I graduated from school. I uh, got into the working world. Uh, and I actually got my gig as a journalist pretty fast. Um, and that being my whole dream for a while, uh, I didn't expect that, you know, I would very quickly be able to get a job in journalism. Uh, and it kind of was, it was a little bit jarring because for that being, having, having that goal as the quote unquote life goal for a long period of time and then, and then achieving that goal so quickly, so young, uh, it led to a short period where like, I didn't know what uh, like I've achieved it, so what's there to do next? So there was these few months when I was at my job at Tech in Asia, uh, where uh, I write about startup, technology, business, where I kind of didn't have a direction. I mean, it's not to say that I didn't do well at my job. I did. You know, I chased the high of uh, getting that scoop again and again. But also, uh, where did I want to go after that? So I, th I think I'm still deciding where I'm, where I'm at with that. But in general, I think there is 
a little bit of a goal of starting my own publication, uh, starting up my own media business. Because Technasia as itself is also a startup. And we write about startups. So my CEO is, uh, or Technasia's founder is uh, also like a, uh, he's very in tune with like, he's very in tune with how you start up a business or with a startup world, with a tech world. So learning from how he runs Technasia, how he runs the business, uh, just by his actions and by the way that he does certain things, the way that he communicates to us, his employees, the way that he communicates the vision of the company. That's something that I've started to pick up from him um, and something that I hope to be able to apply in the future. Uh, whether or not I start my own media business is still up in the air, but at least how people run their own business uh, with this inside look, uh, that's kind of guiding my goals moving forward. I think that's awesome. Um, and I, I think it's fantastic that you're taking all of these different things that you're learning in these different areas and and applying them to your future and, and looking forward to that. So with that in mind, here's kind of always the last interview question that I ask. At the end of your life, when you're looking back on everything you've done, the people you've met, the life you've lived, uh, things both, you know, currently, past, present, and future, when you're looking back at those things, um, what are the things that you're most proud of? And what are you most satisfied with? Well, I guess if I were to look back, so this is actually a question I ask my friends a lot, um, you know, like, where do you see yourself retiring in? Or like, how do you see yourself retiring? Um, and I think I would like to retire having made an impact on the people around me. Um, whether it's the people I'm working with or it's the people I write about or it's the people I write for. Uh, in the sense of that people I work with, I, I have this goal of being the senior journalist in a publication or a media um, where either as a senior writer, as an editor, as the editor-in-chief or whatever, like uh, kind of guiding that, uh, kind of guiding those junior writers the same way that my internship supervisor guided me at the new paper, uh, the same way that they enabled me to have that scoop uh, of you know, that hawker center that burst in flames. Like I want to be able to, guide people into that same experience um, and whether that comes in the form of professionally doing it because I'm a colleague or whether like in the future I become I don't know like a lecturer at a polytechnic or a university and I teach people how to have those experiences I teach them based on my own experiences I think that's something that I would be very proud of uh, when I retire so yeah like in some sense you know you graduate from being proud of the scoop that you write into being proud of the scoop that you enabled someone to get. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think that is super cool. So final question, um, where can people find you and how can they get involved and, and participate and appreciate uh, the work that you do? Yeah, so I am a podcaster at Tech in Asia. Tech in Asia is uh, Asia's 
biggest English language publishers on tech startups and entrepreneurship. So you can find my podcast, Startup Snapshot, on anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, just type it in the search bar and it will appear. Uh, and if anyone wants to reach out to me, you know, to, I guess, speak with me about uh, my podcast, about the Asian experience, or even like uh, you, if you, if someone wants to get me on their podcast, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look up my name, Nathaniel Fedelvero, or you can just uh, drop me a message uh, wherever like you hear my podcast. I'll always leave the email uh, at the end of that, which is podcast at techinasia.com. So yeah, I'm open to speaking to people from all parts of the world, open to sp- uh, speaking to people, even if it's just for a quick chat that leads to no podcast episode, or if it's to something that leads to something uh, concrete, like uh, this chat with you. Uh, very happy to speak with people and connect. So that's where you can find me. And I hope to hear from people, I guess. That is fantastic. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes for people. And I just want to say one last time, Nathaniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to share my story and to uh, get to be on the other side of the interview for once, I guess. (laughs) And thank you for listening, not just to this show, which we certainly do appreciate, but more to the people around you the people in your life that you just happen to know. Take some time, just five minutes, to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco, 